Are you ready to feel more energized, focused, and supported? Go to LayeredSuperfood.com and add nourishing, plant-based foods to fuel you from sunrise to sunset. Use our promo code DRD at checkout to save 15% off your purchase today. Ready for the interview and if you get a cue live on the laptop, watch what I'm gonna do. Welcome to the show, let them know we got a point of view. Hey, yo, let's have a combo. Say what you feel, be real, that's the motto. Real talk, pronto, doctor, DPHD, hit an intro. Hold up, wait, gotta be social, network, global, home for the locals. Gotta be social, network, global, home for the locals. All right, Dr. Bridget, we're here. And we're going to talk about some interesting subjects, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> talk about... How are you doing today? Good, good. So um, let me warn you, I brought my dog to work today. Oh, so nice. I will, if I mute all of a sudden, it's because, hopefully not, but I'm giving you a little warning. Yeah, well, you know, we have uh, sometimes furry friends show up on the on the show, and, and that's yeah. always welcome. I have a dog. Okay. I love my dog. It's great. You know. Yeah. yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, we'll just see, right? It's unexpected. So mm-hmm. uh, I was, you were referred to me, I think, mm-hmm. by Danielle Simone Brand or someone mm-hmm. I know. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd love to learn about your work in the space of, cannabis, uh, plant medicine, and how you got into this? How does this become a part of your life? Sure. Gosh. Um, never totally unexpected, I think. Um, but in some ways, um, exactly what I was looking for. And so, um, I'm a family physician by trade. I spent almost 20 years at the Cleveland clinic. Um, but I was really frustrated pretty early on in my career. Um, psych major from undergrad and felt I was going to go into medicine and make it warmer and friendlier, more patient friendly. And um, I got frustrated. I realized that for all of the education that I had, I really had a factory job in family Mm -hmm. medicine. So every 15 minutes, diagnosis and a pill, diagnosis and pill. And it was literally just like I could have been on an assembly line. And I felt like I knew more and that we should be doing things more patient-centric, so more individualized type care. And my patients were frustrated as well. I, um, you know, they didn't really believe or even then feel like they really trusted the pharmaceutical approach. They were looking for more connection. And so, uh, I had like a few patients that I said, if you want to do it differently, let's do it differently. I was putting them on my lunch hour. I was putting them in at the end of the day. I spent more time just knowing them, getting to understand them. And to be honest, it was mutual. They were getting to know me as well because I really took into consideration, you know, years ago, traditional medicine, doctors knew their patients, but patients also knew their doctor, right? And then really helping them understand what wellness meant and what it meant to them. And when they were ready, we started working on diet and exercise and what have you, and really saw amazing changes in taking patients off of meds. One of those patients asked me about cannabis. I thought she was totally 
after rocker and <laughs> you know i i looked up information to prove it and i got proof wrong and so my journey with cannabis really started with this patient that challenged me and i saw and i supported her use and i learned about how to dose and titrate and what have you and so um that is what I, I saw her health transform in a way that pharmaceuticals would not have done. And that was really the beginning for me. So what was, I'm going to tail off of that. So what was your experience before this patient and what were your ideas about cannabis before this that formed, that helped you form your ideas initially? Um, I think in, you know, as far as like what I learned in medical school, it was all negatives. It mm. was a drug. It was, uh, it makes you stupid. It slows down your productivity. It gives men gynecomastia and, you know, there was this, everything was negative. Right. And as far as like growing up, uh, my best friend had an older cousin and I was around them all the time. And she was a wild woman. I mean, she was probably five years older and we were like junior high. She's in high school. And she was, and she always smelled like weed. And so to me, I associated cannabis with really wild, crazy behavior to the point where I never tried it ever. My best friend never tried it ever. We never talked about it. We never talked about it. And it wasn't until I really understood cannabis and I looked at what I understood about medicine, I went to her and I said, I was terrified of this because you're a cousin. I think your cousin was bipolar. Mm. She did not get diagnosed until her late forties with bipolar. And she was a teenage young girl trying to manage something going on that she did not understand. I had so much compassion for that. And um, so, yeah, I had a pretty negative view of it overall. I feel like we had a very similar upbringing with that or mm-hmm. idea like I had a very negative association too until my mm-hmm. mid 30s. Mm. I mean, I'm 40 I'm going to be 45 on Saturday and I feel mm-hmm. like I I just feel like I had this weird I would see things like you did or I would associate it in a way or my education would tell me this is just terrible the marketing, you know, reefer mm-hmm. madness, all this, you know, mm-hmm. it's like and it just I was like are you serious and once I started dipping into it I was like I can't believe this. I this is this is the power of information that is right. not presented. Or propaganda. In propaganda. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's the power of propaganda. It's probably one of I could think of one or two others that we'll, we won't delve into, yeah, but yeah. it's one of the most powerful propaganda campaigns that there has been. Because despite the fact of you know we've moved on and we have all the science and information, people still strongly believe in those images and ideas Mm -hmm. from the 1940s, you know, and we weren't even born, but we, you know what I mean? But that, that imagery, that concept has remained. Yeah. That's an incredible lineage to pass Mm -hmm. on for that. So after this patient, what started happening when you saw the results and what did your, what was your thought process and how you started shifting your mindset towards cannabis with this patient? Well, I think number one, 
it made me look at medicine, forget cannabis, made me look at medicine differently. That here's this incredible option that I completely dismissed that um, if this could do this for this patient, what other things are available and out there that could benefit people that we're not even considering because it doesn't fit into the pharmaceutical model. So I became much more critical, which is our responsibility as physicians anyhow. But instead of just being the student of the education that was presented to me, I became much, much more critical of what else was out there and, and making up my own mind as opposed to just going with what was what I was being told. So I, I just looked at everything uh, much more critically. Wow. So it oh, basically opened kind of this Pandora's box for you of like questioning everything about everything. medicine. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. where did that lead you then? Like, what was that initial step? Like, where you're like, okay, I need to look at this, 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 or what was the mindset at that point? Like, I'm going to take this one medicine at a time or one, how I speak one to patient. my colleague patient at a time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was, um, prior, uh, pro before that, when patients would mention any sort of homeopathic, you know, approach, I'd be like, Hey, okay. But if you want to get better, then do this. Right. Um, then I was much more interested in, I would, I was much more open to what, how they were doing things. I, I reflected more on some of the things that maybe my um, grandmother would do. Like, I, I just looked at, you know, what we accept is because it fits into a certain model. A lot of what pharmaceuticals are based off are many times based on some of these more homeopathic, uh, you know, approaches, but, and they're scaled into, you know, a little pill or what have you, but I just started looking at things differently. And so when patients would come in and say, Oh, I'm taking dandelion root. And I think maybe before I'd be like, yeah, okay. But you know, here I'm writing mm -hmm. the script. I would really sit there and say, okay, what, what is it? How does it work for you? What have you? There was maybe one doctor in my practice that I knew was a little bit more homeopathic and open. So if someone was you know, beyond what I could really manage, I would actually say, go and see him. But then I started just opening up the door. There was a doctor that was in practice on his own and he did a lot of like holistic um, approaches to things. And particularly for my fibromyalgia patients, which I did not feel we had great options for, I would send them to him. Then I learned, of course, you know, years later that uh, probably the best treatment for fibromyalgia is CBD and cannabis. Wow. And so, um, yeah, I just, I really just got more open, but I would take it one patient at a time. Yeah. Now, what was the, um, at the, when you started delving into this among your colleagues, what was the consensus very similar to what your previous ideas were about this? Or did you have other doctors? You talked about, you know, a homeopathic more based doctor where a lot of mm -hmm. your colleagues like, mm, I'm not sure you should be delving into this. Aspect. So I didn't share, okay, the cannabis piece in that one patient, I didn't tell anybody about that. Okay. Because basically it probably wasn't the most legal thing at the time, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but I did pay a little bit more attention to the one colleague that was doing some homeopathic things. I started sending more patients to him because 
I was aware that he was a little bit more open-minded. So I'd ask a few more questions, but I didn't really share with others my doubt or mm. that I was questioning things because I was in a very uh, strict and formal medical setting. And um, I think just being a black woman in medicine, stepping outside of the most um, accepted aspects of medicine would label me in a way that I wasn't prepared for. So I kept a lot of my doubts to myself. So that's really interesting. I want to touch on that. But so when did you start speaking about this more openly? Like, what was that decision like for you? So when I realized that uh, Ohio was creating a medical program, um, <laughs> I I knew I wanted to be a part of it in some way. At the very least, most of the time, you know, in your life, you might be watching some documentary on TV and say, oh, I guess that was interesting. Yeah, you know, like you're you're not even a part of it. And I knew that this was, I, I had never even foreseen the opportunity to be a part of really a huge movement, a huge change, a huge, like a, something that was so monumental to something that was so specifically directed towards me as far as medicine, right? And so um, so I wanted to be a part of this the storm that was happening across America. Never thought it would come to where I was living, but here I was. So, um, so you know, I got in, involved on that level. And as far as telling anyone about, I, I didn't, I didn't tell anybody. Like I, yeah. I to be honest, I went to um, one of my friends at church, mm -hmm. and she was, and I, and I started with, I think I'm going to invest in some stocks in Canada, is what I told her. And, and then express, I think I want to actually see patients. I think I'm going to do this. I had, was at a dinner party with her and some other friends from church. And I knew they were going to judge me. Like I yeah, was ready. Of course. But there was a part of me that was kind of rebellious too, right? <laughs> so I knew my one friend was in my corner. And then I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to invest in socks. I think we're going to open a practice because I knew I did not want to join a card company because I wanted to do treatment. I wanted to treat it like medicine. I didn't want to do fast cards, money. I wanted to do okay. patient care and they don't do patient care. And I saw one of the women almost like grasp her palms. And she, and I was like, look at this. This is so crazy. <laughs> but then when I, in that same moment, she was like, I want in. And I was like, what? She was like, I want in. And she's a nurse she's obviously I thought she was very anti-cannabis at the time. Um, and she was like, no, tell me what you're doing. I want to be a part of it. So first of all, you never know who you're talking to and cannabis is everywhere. And it's probably in people you never would suspect. <laughs> it's so true. And so, um, so yeah, so we, we actually delved into this cannabis journey together in many ways. She um, traveled, did a lot of research, was thinking about lab and doing, she ended up doing distribution of vaporizers. Mm -hmm. And um, I obviously went into seeing patients and developing CBD and talking, you know, doing different things. Um, but we, she now has a farm in Tennessee and she's going to start growing hemp. 
So we've continued on this, sorry. All good. We continued on this journey together. And um, yeah, so you never know who you're talking to. You, I mean, you really don't. I mean, what's interesting, I think, maybe I lingered on this a little bit, thinking about um, the church aspect of it, you know, for myself too. I mean, I think you think that you're talking to someone maybe more spiritual, religious, and maybe like, oh, this mm -hmm. is going to be a big no. This mm -hmm. is going to be a big judgment. But you just never know who you're speaking mm -hmm. with and how they'll receive it. Because mm -hmm. on the outside, you're thinking, oh, this, especially in this environment, this is going to be a huge no. This is going to be a huge mm -hmm. problem, potentially. Mm -hmm. And uh, and maybe you were thinking that, but we're surprised by Oh, shocking. Yeah, right? I mean, it sounds shocking to me, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. More more than surprise. I was definitely shocked. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, go figure. Yeah, go figure, right, uh, for mm -hmm. that. And um, you educationally, maybe this is an obvious thing, but I don't I, I don't know. That's why I ask. Like, mm -hmm. why is this kind of de-incentivized de to talk about during medical school? Why is this not talked about? Is it because of the pharmaceutical link? towards this or the past propaganda what is it well first of all i think it's everything yeah um i definitely think so keep in mind um for probably over over 50 years or so uh cannabis was part of the pharmaceutical model if you went to a pharmacist asking for all sorts of different you know medications they were doing compound pharmacy in putting cannabis in a great deal of the medications that were available. I want to say, I probably have the number wrong now, but probably in 200 different medications mm -hmm. that were available in the U.S. pharmacopoeia. So at one point, this was not odd. You know, if pharmacists were making compound um, medications, then apparently doctors were prescribing, you know, these, you know, cannabis as well. Um, I think when the synthetic um, pharmaceuticals became available is really when the problem started because they knew they couldn't compete with cannabis. And so, and there was, you know, there was a war and, um, you know, Mexicans were coming over the border and bringing cannabis. Like there, and there was a very anti-cannabis movement that was starting. Prior to that, you could go to clubs and they were called tea pads and you could have cannabis and it wasn't, none of this was a big deal. So I think the pharmaceutical aspect is number one. Um, and the propaganda is, and the prohibition was unavoidable. You know, people could not get away from what that meant. So um, the fact that we can't get, Sorry, the fact that we can't get beyond it now is shocking to me. Well, what do you make of the current state of, I guess I would say legislation, kind of state by state legislation related to <sighs> cannabis, both medical and recreational? Um, money talks. <laughs> that's, I think Correct. that's probably the best answer. Um, <laughs> legislators lobbyists uh i think a lot of them probably could care less you know um i you know and, and i will say even i have a lot of patients that are concerned you know if you you bring up the religious aspect of it yeah they're 
they're thinking, oh, you know, I use this and it helps me and, but I'm afraid, you know, I'm going to hell or what have you. But the majority of people don't have that, are not conflicted in that way. Yeah. And, um, and if you do enough research, you'll realize that there is no conflict with your spirituality. And so um, the reason why we're doing this state by state and it's so slow is because of money, hmm. pharmaceutical money, you know, lobbyist money. Yeah, it slows it down. The pharmaceutical aspect of it, what what is the kind of the major issue with that and related to cannabis? You know, I've talked to a lot of people related to the psychedelics based issue with it, production of it, um, mm -hmm. but not about cannabis. What is there? What's maybe the friction there with the pharmaceutical companies and cannabis? Um, the. Well, OK. <laughs> Basically, if people can grow their own plants mm -hmm. and make their own medicine, you're not going to buy the pharmaceutical medicine, okay? And the pharmaceutical um, the pharmaceutical industry is, you know, multiple billion dollar industry, right? Now, keep in mind, as we speak, they are creating synthetic and even non-synthetic cannabis medications, I think over time, you might not even be aware that cannabinoids are even in them. They're, they will market them in a way that you're not completely, you know, if you, if you know enough, you might be aware, but from it, you will not be aware that there's going to be cannabinoids in some of these meds. Okay. Hmm. They realize that there, this is beneficial, um, that there's research that supports it and they're taking advantage of it. And I, I suspect in some ways they are probably also working on ways to eliminate the natural plant market mm. so that they can take over this completely. And I think if we're not aware and if we don't stay vigilant, that we will have um, that the natural plant industry that we've created will literally be somehow erased. You know, I like, and this is you know, and let me make it clear to your audience. This is simply my thoughts right. and my perspective on this, but I could see something as insane as some sort of parasite, something happened from plants mm -hmm. and people that have believed in you utilizing this become very skeptical. And guess what? You could also get this from your pharmacist, the pharmaceutical industry, and guess what? Your insurance will pay for it. And you know what? I'm not going to go this other route because this might make me sick. I'm going to go back to the pharmacy. I'm going to use my insurance and it will make a huge dent into what we've created so far. I mean, it's very interesting. I mean, it's, I think it goes back to the monetary aspect of it and pulling people back into the pharmacy, the pharmacies mm -hmm. for that. Yeah. I and mean, with, with that yeah. being said though, I mean, what's, what's your most optimistic vision for the future of cannabis um, and, and what you're doing? Mm, well, I lots and lots of more research. 
And now, a special motorcycle weather report from Progressive. And today's forecast, expect a steady breeze with a 100% chance of twisting down those country back roads gleefully on your motorcycle. Some will want you, others will want to be you, and animals everywhere will yearn for opposable thumbs just to work that throttle like you do. <laughs> Nature's cruel design. That's your forecast, back to you. This has been a special motorcycle weather report from Progressive, where every day's a beautiful day to ride with 24-7 roadside assistance from America's number one motorcycle insurer. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Roadside assistance subject to policy terms and limits and may require comprehensive coverage. For whatever reason, there's always been a stigma around mental health in our communities. Some people say that talking about your feelings makes you weak. But you know what? It doesn't make you weak. It makes you human. No matter what you're struggling with, you can call or text 988-LIFELINE to connect with a trained crisis counselor and get the resources and support you need. No judgment, no stigma, just hope. Text or call 988-SUICIDE-AND-CRISIS-LIFELINE day or night. 988. Hope has a new number. The all-new Nissan Aria is a fully loaded EV. It's brimming with style and power. Up to 389 horses of it. Innovation and intelligence. E-Force all-wheel drive. It'll pin you to your seat. Your very plush seat. The all-new, all-electric Nissan Aria. Nissan Aria with E-Force expected availability early 2023. E-Force cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. E-Force and 389 horsepower available on Platinum Plus. Nissan calculation using one-foot rollout testing with long-range battery and E-Force only in Fort Worth with E-Step Off. These results are for comparison only and should not be attempted on public roads. Drive responsibly. See NissanUSA.com for details. Hmm. Understanding cannabinoids better. Understanding terpenes better. Um, even flavonoids, which is another aspect of the plan. Um that there is a respect and a space um, to elevate the more natural forms of medicine and that everything doesn't have to be huge pharmaceutical companies or synthetics even, yeah. right? Um, that this is beyond even the cannabis piece that as you see people gravitating more and more to cannabis and just more holistic practices and 40% of Americans are looking for some other alternative aspect of medicine right now. And that number still grows. Same time, physicians are leaving medicine in droves, yes. burnt out, exhausted. Nurses are leaving medicine in droves. The best thing that could have come from this cannabis movement is a restart and rewiring of the uh, medical model. Mm that we are no longer subjected to this, you know, every 15 minutes patient, you know, diagnosis pill, diagnosis pill, but that we actually rebel and not just go away and create a model that is more patient centric. And that as that happens, the, the tr the current medical model won't survive and they either have to, I guess, you know, change their perspective as well or, or go away. I think that would be innovative and, and, and it, it also allowing different types of practitioners into the medical model and mm. not just to be kind of sitting on the outside. People want something different and they should yeah. be able to have access to them. I see it too, uh, certainly. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned rebel, like what form does that take in rebelling? Well, I mean, I think a lot of it now, what I see is that patients either don't take the medications that their physicians are giving them. Okay. 
um, take the prescription. Some of what I see happen a lot right now, patients take the prescription and they fill it because sometimes if they don't, um, sometimes it affects like if they, if let's say they needed a surgery down the road, if they never had taken the prescription that they were given in the beginning, that, that surgery won't be covered, let's say. Right. Mm -hmm. So they take the medications, they fill the medications, they put them in the drawer, they take cannabis or whatever other holistic practices. They go back to their doctor. The doctor's like, this is working incredibly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Whatever. You know, um, I think, or they don't take the medications at all. Right. Yeah. And, um, I think it, that is rebellious because if you consider many years ago, patients did what their doctors said, period. Right. Correct. Now doctors are being challenged and I welcome that because we're not always right. And we're not listening to the patient. I still believe patients know their bodies better than I ever will. I know a lot of information about a lot of people and a lot of bodies and the science that goes behind it. Yes. But on an individual basis, I believe when you're telling me something, first of all, I need to learn how to listen so that I can understand how you say something might be different how someone else says it, but you're both doing the same thing. Okay. Saying the same thing. So we need to be better at listening to understand people. But if you're telling me something I should not dismiss it because it doesn't fit into my algorithm. I need to hear that. And um, yeah, I think, I think being challenged is a good thing. Most definitely. But how does, yeah. how does a doctor rebel against this kind of assembly line of 15 minutes, maybe even less? Of, mm -hmm. How does that yeah. happen? Like, I think it's like when I was at the clinic, my rebellion was that I, I would try to get them to allow me to have longer visits and that didn't really work. I had patients that understood how I worked and they would make their appointments and they knew I might not see them for 30 minutes later, 40 minutes. People that didn't agree with that, obviously were not, you know, you know, come to see me very often. But there were patients that said, when I get in there, I know she's going to spend the time with me that I need. And so what, what they couldn't understand was not only was I running late, but nobody was complaining. Mm. And that threw them a little bit, right? So that was my way of rebelling. Um, at the same time, I the fact that doctors are leaving practices and are choosing to be there there's a huge movement of doctors that no longer accept insurance and they're um cash for uh cash for services practices mm -hmm. um it costs sometimes uh the patients a lot less money um the patients typically still have their insurance but they're using that for labs and for testing and yeah. you know what have you and it allows the, the physician to practice the way that they feel is appropriate without being ruled and governed by people that are not even physicians, but are more people focused on the money. And I think that's probably the biggest wave of rebellion that physicians are having right now, doing uh, cash for services and, and leaving the system, leaving the, leaving system, the system, but not leaving yeah. medicine. They're not leaving medicine, but they're leaving the system. 
Wow. I, I had not heard of this. This yeah. Is this a fairly new development with doctors or is, has it been kind of little by little happening? Little by little. Like there's an organization right now that I remember I was spending a lot of time like reading and learning a lot about their information. There are several doctors in the area that I know that are doing the same thing. I, I do that in a similar way because just having a cannabis practice, obviously I'm not taking insurance yeah. and Cannabis has taken up so much of my time that um, my goal was always to build a full, you know, uh, a full practice without insurance. But um, I, I do to some, I do take some insurance at the practice that I'm, that I have now, but uh, a lot of it isn't because, um, and it's cheaper for the patient in the long run. Interesting. Yeah. I wanted to ask like, how, how is it cheaper and like, what's the mechanism that makes it cheaper? I mean, I don't know. I'm just why I'm asking. You know? mm -hmm. Well, it's so if so, depending on whether you have insurance or don't, let's say you don't have insurance at mm -hmm. all. Right. And I have a lot of patients that opt out of that for whatever reason. Um, you the, it's more like different practices do it different ways, but it's sliding scale as far as what you can afford. It's um, paying for a certain level for the type of medical needs you have. So instead of everyone, you know, paying however much they pay for insurance every month, um, if you're young and with few medical issues and, you know, what have you, you're paying less um, overall than you would pay for your monthly insurance. Um, you can pay for things a la carte at a yeah. rate that is reflective for what it should be. And so um, patients tend to, that enter these practices tend to like the model that it provides. I see. So essentially, like it's if you're a much, let's say, healthier, you you don't really need a lot of medical intervention on a regular basis. Your mm -hmm. maybe your costs would be lower because you're just not someone who's using the service mm -hmm. as much mm -hmm. for that. Mm -hmm. Versus now, is it more we would consider it being like, hey, we're just all in this thing. Like you're paying mm -hmm. whether you're you have more chronic issues or you don't. You're just going to pay this mm -hmm. this thing. Is that kind of what you're saying? Uh, absolutely. On some yeah, level. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And then for patients that do have more medical concerns, they can buy into the plan that fits their needs. And um, I, I think even with them, sometimes it ends up being up because you're not having to the 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 insurance companies trying to make money, the physicians trying yeah. to make money, the lab companies like everyone's trying to That's make right. money. And where are they getting the money from? from you. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if, um, we cut out some of those players, it, it will cost less. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And is there, in this system, is there more transparency in the pricing? Because I think that's one thing that people, I know for me, I, I don't like getting a bill and I have no clue what it was going to cost. Like, and mm -hmm. that is so frustrating. Um, mm -hmm. cause everything else in life, you generally know what it's going to cost before you get it. Mm -hmm. But in this right. area, it's like, it's just accepted that you kind of really don't know what's going to happen, yeah. you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think almost everything else in life, you kind of know what you're yeah. in for. kind of know. And then God forbid you go to the ER oh. or you have a hospitalization, you haven't a clue what you're in for, right? And if you start asking too many questions, I feel like it just gets more and more complicated. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, I think there tends to be a lot more transparency with these groups. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the hospitals are still the hospitals, but, um, as far as the, they tend to be more primary care physicians that are doing this. Um, you know, what plan you're buying into and you know what you're going to get. So, yeah. And it makes a lot of sense. And and you mentioned also about that more people, I forget the percentage are looking for alternative. Um, Mm -hmm, 40%. Right. That seems, I Mm -hmm. mean, that's getting up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is and that pushing? was um I want to say that might be data from 2019. So I'd oh, be curious be what it is now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it might be very different now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, on a, on a large scale, what's pushing that? Is it just the current medical model? People are fatigue behind it, or what is that? Mm-hmm. So they're tending, they're looking for alternatives. So I think they, I think number one, distrust, mm. right? Um, distress of pharmaceuticals, there's always some, you know, callback of some medication and as much as they have put a lot in the patient's hands by having all, you know, there was a time there were no commercials for pharmaceuticals and now they're everywhere. Everywhere. Constantly. Yeah. And so I think that when you see that sometimes some people are like, I don't know if I want to do that. Like I want to do that. So people are looking for things that are much more tangible that they can understand that they don't see the same amount of risk um, with people that spend a little bit more time with them. People still have this image that doctors are being paid off by pharmaceutical companies, which is, has not been during my lifetime, my career. Right. But that image is still there. And so I think people, you know, I still see people come in with this kind of adversarial type of behavior because there's a lack of trust. Yeah. But you, um, things that are a little bit more hands-on and things that you can either create or do yourself, at least you know where it's coming from. You know, people want to be healthier as well. I think, you know, in general. And so, uh, they don't want to be told always to take this pill. Like I, you know, I definitely have a patient population where I say, listen, let's change things. Let's get you off these meds. You don't have to take this. And I have patients that say, I'm good. Just give me the meds. Yeah. But a lot of my patients are like, I don't want to be on those. Like, tell me yeah. what we need to do. And so people want to have more control over their wellness. And um, that pushes people, you know, if you're, you're working with a lot of you know, physicians or medical community that isn't open to that, Yeah, you know, you lose um, faith in, in what they're providing. Yeah, man, it's, I, I have a hope for like kind of this, as medical professionals keep coming along throughout the ages that um, they'll have a different take mm-hmm. on these things. I think that's, it's part of it. What are the people going through medical school now? learning what are they what are their thoughts about these things in mm-hmm. relation to maybe doctors who have been doctors literally forever and right, right. how they they just the generations can sometimes make a big change so it makes me think of like what are you what's the future doctor medical doctor need to be like in order to serve the population effectively right. you know that's interesting because i thought about who was the generation before me? Mm-hmm. What what type of person is drawn to medicine? Is I guess is 
hmm. part of this question, right? Yeah. And who was the generation before me? And who are my colleagues? What are they like? And then who are the new people that are looking into medicine as a career? And I, I don't think we're the same, you know? Um, I think there was always that multi-generation, my dad was a doctor and his dad, and so I'm going to be a doctor. I think some of that still exists clearly, but I think a lot of, I don't, I never one day push my kids into going into medicine. You know, um, I wanted them to find what was meaningful to them. So I think you have probably less of the, you have to do this type of behavior. Um, and just in cycles of education, um, there, we, we kind of have this wherever, you know, we have this big push, everyone should go to college, you know, what have you. And then we're now in a place where everyone that went to college was like, it didn't really add up that much. (laughs) And so their kids are now being told, do what makes sense. And if it's college, it's college. But guess what? I know way too many people that were super successful that never went to college. I will tell you, there'll be another swing. Yeah. So right now with, um, with people that have the, in my generation of kids that are at that age when they're making those decisions, the push for college is not nearly as strong as it was for me. Yeah. Same. Yeah. So those, those kids that are not being pushed to college, some of them will become massively successful and say, look, college wasn't necessary. And plus we've had varsity blue and all that craziness that's happened. Right. Um, But some of those people won't be successful. And then there's going to be another wave pushing those. Well, you know what, if you want to be, you better go to college. So we come through these waves with acceptance of education. There's also um, even in the job search right now, um, where it used to be, did you go to a four-year college? Employers are more interested in what type of certifications you have, um, and that the four-year college doesn't hold the same weight, despite the cost yeah. that it used to. So um, it'll come, and it'll probably turn back around multiple times again. Uh, but I think we're looking at what makes life satisfying in a much different way than we used to. And so the person that chooses medicine, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious as you are, who, how are they yeah. different? Yeah. And yeah. because some of them are going to, some of them are more, there's a lot of push for the MD PhD the mm. scientist researcher. Okay. And so a lot more programs are developing this dual program um, so that this, the researcher also understands what it's like to be a clinician and understands the patient because there is a, a, a divide. Most definitely. What you do Most in definitely. the research lab and what patients are asking for are not the same. Um, I think, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I'm as curious as you are. Who, who's this new generation? Yeah, I feel like they'll be more open-minded. I would think. I hope so. so. Yeah, that's the hope. I think you know mm-hmm. because I've you know I've had many clients throughout the years who have been medical doctors, and you know I I know their children and stuff, and they're mm-hmm. definitely not pushing their children into medicine. In many yeah. ways, they're pushing them away from it. 
and telling what you said, just do what is meaningful for you. And I think that's mm -hmm. a societal change because, and, and still this is somewhat cultural too. There's certain mm -hmm. cultures where it's like an expectation to be an engineer or to be a doctor mm -hmm. and a lawyer. Right. And a, a lot of these cultures are now saying like, well, these people aren't happy doing this. Like, right. what about happiness? And right, for the first right. time, people are actually like, I want to actually enjoy my life and not mm -hmm. be told what to do with my life from birth and then be miserable for what in the end? Yeah. yeah that's a big change. Life. Yeah. That's yeah. like a big change, which is going to have mean there's probably going to be less doctors. <laughs> because well, and, that, that. And, we're, and we are seeing that, though, right? right? That the, the enrollment is not what it used to be. And, you know, I, I told my kids that if you if you're lucky enough to find a passion, because we don't always everyone doesn't get that opportunity. Right. But if you're lucky enough to find a passion. Um, you will. I have no doubt that you will find security and money in it, because yeah. if you can whatever it is that motivates you and wakes you up in the morning and makes you say, this is what I meant to do. You will find a way to monetize it in a way that will give you joy yes. and, and give you money. And so I never really worry about that with my own kids because I, I feel it, I was more concerned with them finding a passion yeah. than them making money because once they find the passion, they'll make it make money. I it. feel the same exact way. I have an 11 year old mm -hmm. daughter and it's, it's extremely evident what she's into. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I would say, you know, someone who's more artistic, like heavily artistic minded. Mm -hmm. And I think in the past we have kind of poo pooed that be like, well, what can you do with that? Like mm -hmm. you're going to be a starving artist. Like what kind of life right. is that? And I think right. I, I like that we're getting rid of that sentiment because, mm -hmm. you know, listen, the, they may not become the most wealthy person, but isn't it kind of the goal to be able to support yourself and, 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 and do like, it's not the goal isn't like massive wealth. It's goal is support yourself right. and be able to live yeah. in the world and enjoy the different parts yeah. of living and work. And it's like, we've had this weird yeah. relationship with work for a long time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot yeah. of people in different generations have just pushed that because the previous generation pushed that, or this right. is a pension. You're going to have this pension. You're going to have this right. pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, which doesn't exist for most people anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. like, okay, but then you're unhappy most of the time. Like right. people are just taking that more serious. They're like, this is not a long life. I don't yeah, happiness wanna... was never it was a never a consideration. Crazy. <laughs> never. Never like, part of the equation. I really want to say we're really at the first time in approaching a generation that says, oh, I want to be happy. Yeah. It's wild. <laughs> never, 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 never. No. Isn't that so sad? That's it's so sad. interesting now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, why at this point in human, in humanity, have we decided that happiness is important? Because the rest of the time, it really wasn't a huge consideration. That's crazy that we've just come to this point in time. Exactly. It should be better exactly. than this. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. It's like, yeah. It's yeah. wild. No, that is really interesting. And so, and I hope that we keep that at the forefront because like I said, yeah. um, societal norms come in waves and, yes. and when the tide, you know, comes and goes again, in is even though we should become better humans and more ethical and more humane and more conscious, 
uh, it's like one step forward, two steps back yeah. a little bit. I find yeah. which I don't think I imagined that growing up. I think I imagine, gosh, as if you look at our history and as we grow as human beings and we become more humane, we're going to become this like amazing, <laughs> altruistic, yeah, like being. But now at this point in time, it's definitely been one step forward is two steps back, yeah, right? It's not linear, and the so, progress, you know, it's, no. no. <laughs> it's no, kind it's of so the shocking. lesson, right? It's yeah. kind of like, well, there are a lot of good things moving forward, but then you see things that pull back too. It's like, oh, it's going to mm -hmm. take some time, you know, yeah. Like, yeah. or that. Yeah, Dr. Dr. Bridget, this was extremely enlightening. Yes, I absolutely. love all the things you said and how you said it, which is the most important. Mm -hmm. You really thought about it. Mm -hmm. And we're thoughtful. I love that. How can people learn more about what you're up to in this space? Yes. So um, you can always go to uh, drbridgetmd.com. And then all of my social media is connected to Dr. Bridget MD as well. So Instagram and Facebook and yeah. God forbid, TikTok and you know, all <laughs> that fun stuff. Yeah, I got, I got coaxed into that as well. So, um, you know, everything is Dr. Bridget MD. And then um, our book, Courage and Cannabis, um, is also website.com and available on Amazon. So um, you can check that out as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Bridget. I appreciate it. Absolutely. You. Absolutely. Thank you.